Welcome back to the dungeon. This is Dan flying solo again. That's why you're hearing me, not Tom. Rather less used to doing the whole introductory thing. So um, I imagine I'll just keep it kind of short. Continuing with the theme, the goblins have drugged Tom out of our dungeon. I don't know where he went, but I suspect he's being beaten. So we'll just have to ask him about that next time when he comes back. In the meantime, I have a much more much more pleasant afternoon ahead of me here. Uh, interviewing Jamie Leonard. She is the proprietress of D20 Dinner. She is a dice maker. Uh, she is one who has helped us out with our summer camp. It was one of the highlights of the summer camp for the kids. They mentioned that quite a bit. And we've already heard rumblings that kids are very excited about a possible return visit. So we'll, we'll talk about that probably later. But for right now, Jamie, welcome to the dungeon. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Well, we are really excited to have you here, too. Can't wait to get into learning a little bit about this this art. But to start with, we always like to ask a little bit about uh, how you got into Dungeons & Dragons. So what is your story? Well, I, I, I've known about Dungeons & Dragons for a while, but I was always really, really nervous to play because I was, was always... I always had the mindset that I was going to be really bad at role play. And that was really intimidating to me. I was always like, I'm not creative enough. I can't come up with, you know, what to say or what to do. And so that really intimidated me. And I was just like, this is it. Like, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to play this game because it's too much. And so my friends and I love board games. We've been playing board games forever. And we especially love legacy games. So Pandemic Legacy or Betrayal at House on the Hill Legacy, you know, those kinds of games. And so we were playing, I think it was Pandemic Legacy or maybe Betrayal Legacy. I can't remember which one we did first, but we were getting toward the end of that game. And our one of our friends, Alex, was like, hey, I would love if I could run a D&D campaign for you guys after this. And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's not really like my thing. <laughs> and he was like, just give it a try. If you hate it, we'll stop. If you like it, we'll keep playing. And we were like, okay, sure, we'll try it. One campaign is all we'll commit to. So we finished our legacy game, board game, and we get together for our first like session zero of our campaign. And he's like walking me through how to make a character. I'm like, Alex, I don't get any of this. I'm playing a bard because <laughs> I'm like, well, I know music, but I'm kind of afraid to play a musical bard because what I don't want to sing at the table. So I was like, I'll just become an artistic bard and a teacher because I'm a teacher. And, you know, so I made this character who's very true to kind of who I am. That was kind of my like little tiny footstep into the game. 
And then about like three weeks later, I was like all in, like, <laughs> you know, I haven't turned back since then. <laughs> so nice. So just a follow up question to that, I, you've sort of answered it, but would you have any advice then for a person who's intrigued, but nervous about the role play like you were? Uh, yeah, I think that make sure that the people you're playing with, like, have at least one person there who you're really comfortable with. Because, you know, I played, the, the campaign I play in is with my three best or four best friends and my husband people who I'm really comfortable with, people that I know really well. But even if I was playing with some strangers, I would say just having someone who is comforting to you or who can support you, like that's a big thing for me just to feel supported. Also, don't be afraid to ask questions because Dungeons and Dragons has so many rules and there's no way you can ever remember all of them. And like I've been playing the same campaign for three years now and we are still like I I play a bard so I'm a magic cat like a magic user and I still don't know really how to like hit with a sword right so I'm like (laughs) I'm like just ask questions (laughs) if you're if you're stuck if you're confused you know like ask questions don't be afraid to help your dm guide you help the other players guide you because really just it's collaborative it's bouncing ideas off of each other if you have an idea, just throw it out there. It might be stupid. It might be great. It might be comic relief that everybody needed at that moment. So to me, I kind of jumped into it as playing third person at first, where I would say, oh, Callie does this and Callie says this. And that helped me kind of take myself out of it because it wasn't as personal then. But now I'm all in, like I am Callie and Callie is me. And, you know, so I, I think this whatever way makes you feel most comfortable, I think is how you should play it to at least to start. So another thing you said that kind of caught my attention, you said you, you created your first, this character to be similar to you. Did that help make the process easier? And I guess connected to that has the character now you've been playing for a while, has it diverged from who you are? How, how has that worked for you? So I play a halfling bard who is a kind of like a one house school, one room schoolhouse teacher in her shire. She's the teacher who has all these kids that she's been mentoring, but she's curious about the world and wants to explore. And so she is a hopeless romantic. I'm a hopeless romantic. She loves teaching. I'm a fourth grade teacher. She is musical. She's artistic. I started off my education career like in music education and now I'm in elementary. And so those are all aspects of myself that I put into her. Since then, she has become so much more than just that little box that I had put her in. She and I still have a lot in common, but she has really like, you know, the experiences that we've had, different situations that we've that we've been put through throughout this campaign have definitely changed her a lot. So I would say there are definitely some major differences between her and I now. Like she just kind of made a deal with the devil. Like I don't think I'd ever make a deal with the devil, right? <laughs> but um, <laughs> like there, it, there's just a lot. I But I think it's, One of the most exciting things is that you never know where you're going to go. At the three years ago, I never would have thought that she would be making a deal with 
a goddess of revenge to like <laughs> avenge her dead fiance, you know, like it's so there's a lot that she is now and she has become such a deep and developed character that's so dear to my heart, but has really evolved into her own person. It's, it's fascinating how these creations do feel like living, living people after a while that, you know, (laughs) that's, that's really interesting to me. I, I don't, I don't know what it says about me, but I, I would, I tend to kind of go opposite in that I, I tend to create characters of who I would want to be rather than who I think I am. So that's really fascinating to hear that you, nothing else, I think it suggests a pretty secure sense of self that you know, this is me. And this is what I'm putting out there. That's really cool. I think that when we build characters and develop our characters, they really do shine and show aspects of who we want to be. You know, Callie is this ultra confident leader of her group, knows what she wants and is going to get it no matter what it takes. And I am kind of a pushover, you know? I I, I think that she does have those qualities of, man, I would love to be this way, or I would love to be so self-confident that I don't even care what anyone else thinks of me, you know? But I, I, I think that's something really cool. Dungeons and Dragons is a place where we can just hop into this fantasy world and forget about everything else and just like be this person that maybe we feel like we can't be or that we want to be or practice things that we need to do in the real world, you know? Yes, I would agree with that. I, I know that, you know, the, to the extent that I've looked into how RPGs are used in education, you know, one of the most powerful things for students is the chance to try social situations in a low, low risk way. And I find myself doing that with characters too, you know, what is it like to get in somebody's face and actually say, I don't care what it takes. I'm not allowing you to do this because I'm like you, I would never in real life. That's not, Yeah. I don't know if it's a teacher thing to always look for the, the calm solution, but uh, yes, that, that definitely wouldn't be me. I, I think you've already answered this, but is there anything else you would add as far as what's your favorite part about Dungeons and Dragons? What, what is it that keeps you hooked? Well, one of the things that my DM does specifically is that I can get like an extra plus one to every D20 roll if I don't have my phone. So when I walk in, I put my phone in my bag and like my family and my friends know that on Sunday evenings or Sunday afternoons, I am unreachable. And if they need me, they need to call my husband. (laughs) So because I take my watch off, I put my phone away. So this is like my time where the rest of the world goes away and I just get to spend time with my friends and my husband rolling dice, playing pretend, living in this fantasy world for, you know, four to six hours on a Sunday afternoon where that's all I have to think about. And I just get to enjoy, you know, being with people that I enjoy being with. What a, what a clever DM. That's a really good <laughs> Good way to use positive reinforcement to uh, yeah. get people to put their phones away. <laughs> and I'm the only one from my group who actually takes advantage of that. The other four players use their phones to keep track of spells or, you know, whatever. Sure. And But I just keep a player handbook right with me at all times and have spells written down that aren't in there. And I actually have some spell cards now so that I don't have to flip as many pages. But I just hate, like, I want to be 
disconnected from everything else. I want to be solely focused on this game because I feel like I would miss so much more if I had a phone even just near me. Right. (laughs) I'm old enough that it's just, I don't like a screen for that kind of, I don't want to keep, I like the paper and pencil to keep track of my yeah. character. So yeah, I, I see people using it and I see how efficient it is to have a tablet or whatever, but I'm like, nope, I can't do it. It doesn't feel right. It takes me out of the moment or something, I guess. You you mentioned your bard and, and the whole singing thing. Yeah, I don't sing, in, I play a bard, I don't sing in front of the players, but what I do is when they are engaged in role play and my character is a little bit at loose ends, I'll write down song titles so I can at least tell them, okay, this is the song that's being performed right now. So that's, for me, that's kind of been a workaround for <laughs> actual performance anxiety or whatever. Yeah. And and I actually kind of, I do that a little bit too, where I'm not writing down song titles as much, but sometimes I'll grab my husband's phone or go grab my phone from the bag and look up, like go to YouTube and say like, hips don't lie tavern version or you know something like that and um find and it's there that's the most amazing (laughs) (laughs) and so i'll say oh well i get up and i'm you know i'm gonna go perform on stage and i like chug an ale slam it down on the stage in front of me for a tip jar and then i start to perform (laughs) and i hit play and they hear whatever song i've chosen in that moment and they're like oh my gosh you've done it again (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) nice that is that is that's the appropriate use of technology that's perfect (laughs) so so we got to know you because uh because you make dice Mm-hmm. And this is something that just is kind of personally fascinating to me, the whole process. Um, so could you just kind of talk me through how did you how did you get into dice making? What made you decide to try it? How long you how it's going for you? Yeah, so I started making dice in January of 2021. I I was kind of scrolling through TikTok one day and a video popped up of someone who had made dice that had little confetti in them like little holographic confetti and I was like those are cool I feel like I could make that I'm pretty artistic you know like I could just try that out so I ordered some cheap dice molds that are terrible and would I would never recommend anyone using um but I ordered them my friend Dave had um some resin at his house and he was like oh I've got some resin I've used it for some project you can use it you know come on over bring dice molds and we'll make these and because he is a Dungeons and Dragons lover he played in a campaign with my mom many years back I don't remember how long ago it was now but he's always been you know the one who paints his own minis and has 3d printers and runs his own campaigns and so he's he's fantastic guy. He's got his own YouTube channel um, where he streams his games. And so he had said, Hey, let me help you with this. I've got some resin. Come on over and we'll try this out. So we tried it out, went horribly, um, (laughs) figured out what we did. (laughs) And then I was like, well, okay, I'll just take this stuff. He's like, you just take it back to your house. See if you can figure it out. See if it can make one work. So I took it back to my house and I tried it another time and I got a couple dice, like I think two or three that turned out as dice. One of them didn't have the one on them. So I like just painted it on <laughs> and and that kind of thing. And then 
my mom bought me a starter resin kit that came with some dried flowers and some alcohol ink and a little, another set of resin, like resin and hardener and a couple like stirring sticks. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try this again. Let me buy an actual mold because by then I had, you know, hopped on YouTube and there's a channel on YouTube called Ribonator, who is the like guy who most dice makers have watched his videos to learn how to make dice because he's kind of the one who started it all for us and was like, I'm going to make these videos to teach other people how to do this and how to make molds and how to make dice and how to convert a paint pressure pot into a resin pressure pot and all that stuff. I went on a binge of watching his videos for hours and hours and hours and said, okay, I got this. I'm going to buy a mold. That's going to be good because I don't trust myself to make one right now. And then I'm going to try it out. And so I used an actual good mold and then I had some dice that were functional and I was like, okay, these are kind of ugly, but they work. (laughs) So, um, So from there, I was like, well, okay, these are kind of still not great, but maybe I can make some character dice. And so I made some dice for one of the characters in our campaign who's named Origin. He's a Warforged Paladin. And I basically took three different colors of foil, of craft foils. So I used silver, gold, and rose gold, mixed them all together dumped them in the mold with some resin and they came out looking like ore basically and I was like perfect that's great and so I gave them to him and he was like these are awesome like how did you do that and I was like okay there we go and then I was hooked (laughs) I bet so you've you've kind of already said it but if you if you could I mean I imagine there are a lot of people that are somewhat familiar I'm not really familiar. So what is the actual process of start to finish of creating dice? So you have to start with a mold, uh, usually silicone mold. Um, and you mix up your resin just in whatever the instructions tell you to do. It depends on the resin. Mine is a 50-50. So it's half resin, half hardener. Mix those together. And then depending on what you're doing, you'll add either alcohol inks to color the resin or mica powders Um, You can add dried flowers, glitter, confetti, you know, kind of whatever you want to include. I've used a whole bunch of different types of inclusions in dice, um, whether those are store-bought or handmade or, you know, tons of different things. So um, you put in whatever coloring you want into your resin and then whatever inclusions you want in there. Sometimes you put them directly into the mold. Sometimes they're in the resin and you pour them in. And so you pour the resin into the mold, cap it up, put the lid on top um, because the lid has all the ones on it. So all the different numbers are inside the mold and then the lid has all the ones. So you close it up and then I put them into a pressure pot and the pressure pot basically makes the bubbles so small that you can't see them anymore so that you don't have any air inside the resin to throw your balance off. And so you put those in the pressure pot, seal it up with an air compressor and let those sit for 24 hours typically. Then I take them out of the pressure pot and demold them. So I just pop them out of the mold. And then I usually let them sit for another day or two, but then I sand up the sides and any of them that have imperfections on them, you know, just make sure all the faces are 
smooth and even. And then you polish them up. I use a tumbler to polish them, but some people do it by hand. It just takes forever that way. <laughs> so I sped up my process quite a bit, a little like about a, a year, year and a half ago, maybe. And so I use a tumbler now to finish all my dice. And then you use paint to paint all the numbers in. So that's kind of start to finish. It takes about, if I was working on it consistently and didn't have any days where I didn't do work on dice when I should have been working on dice, it would take about a week. <laughs> um, but is it usually, I, if there's a custom order and it's pretty simple order, I tell them one to two weeks. If it's something where I have to make something on my own, whether it's out of clay or out of resin or, you know, order something or get something from a craft store, then I usually add an extra week on there. So it could be done in about a week. The quickest I've made a set is about five days, but that's really pushing it. <laughs> so is balance an issue? Do when you put inclusions in, does that affect a dye's balance in any way or how do you deal with that? So balance is a huge question throughout the DICE and TTRPG community. A lot of people are concerned when it comes to handmade DICE, are they balanced? That's one of the most common questions that DICE makers get. It's also one of like the most frustrating questions that DICE makers get online because people can be really aggressive about it. Um, <laughs> but when you're getting handmade DICE, it's almost less likely that they'll be unbalanced. They're probably more likely to be balanced if they're handmade than factory made because your factory made dice, if they're not clear, you could cut those open and they could have tons of bubbles inside just from the factory made process. Handmade dice are more likely to be balanced because we use pressure pots consistently and we make sure that as we're pouring, we're, we're degassing it and we're getting the bubbles out and that kind of thing. The materials that you can fit inside dice are so small that they usually don't matter. But if I were to put metal inside of it, then I would just make sure that that is directly in the center of the die so that it's not weighted to one side. But typically, we don't have to worry about balance because the materials we use are so light or the same weight as the resin that it doesn't matter in the long run. So if it is... Okay that's heavier than the resin, then we would just make sure we keep it in the middle of the dye somehow, um, whether that's doing multiple layers of a cure, you know, letting the, pouring it about halfway, letting it cure, and then putting it in the middle and letting it cure, topping it off and curing again. Or if that's, you know, putting it on a little pedestal, I've seen someone make a little resin pedestal to set something on so that it stays in the middle. Wow. But typically the things that can go can fit inside a die are so small that it, the weight is almost a moot point at, at that point. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Have you, have you done much with the more advanced techniques yet? I would say advanced techniques is a really broad term because when you're making <laughs> dice, um, <laughs> when you make dice, every dice maker has their kind of niche of what they're really good at. They've kind of come up with, you know, something that they are really good at. They can make in a whole bunch of different colors and they can make consistently with this, with similar results. One of the hardest things about dice making is your mold is not clear. So you can't tell what the dice are going to look like until you demold them. So you pour something, you kind of cross your fingers and then 24 hours later you go, did it work? <laughs> 
So, oh, that that would be the thing that would just drive me crazy. <laughs> I don't know how I would yeah. deal with that. <laughs> yeah. So there are definitely some techniques that take some trial and error to figure out. But there are also some designs that that I've made and that other dice makers have made that were complete accident because we were trying to do something else, but turned out really cool. Some of the hardest dice, I would say, there's one that's called a Petri style pour, which is one that I know you've seen recently. It kind of looks like you dropped, like we call it a Petri pour because it almost looks like a Petri dish where like stuff is growing in it, but it's kind of like tendrils coming down into the dice. That, that style is really hard because you often get soft cures um, where the resin doesn't fully cure because the uh-huh. amount of alcohol ink that you put into the resin can sometimes be too much. And that's, it's a really fragile balance there. So that's probably one of the more challenging ones. Sometimes you want to get a specific effect and if the resin is too hot or too cold, um, if it's too hot, it could flash cure on you. So the working time of the resin is really short or if it's too cold, then it doesn't like swirl the way you want or it takes longer to cure. So it settles more. So that would be kind of the harder part of it. Um, Some things that seem like they would, like you look at dice and you go, wow, this must have been complicated to make. Some of those are actually simpler than they seem because of materials we use or specific techniques. So it's kind of hard to answer that question, but I've made tons of different styles. I can mostly look at a die and figure out now how someone made that or what I could try to do to replicate it. Um, But even then we just kind of do things with our own flair and see what works. (laughs) From the time you began to now, what, what was the fail rate like for your dice? So there have only been, let's see, maybe 10 to 20 sets that I've made that like, the set failed. Um, I, I've been able to repair quite a few of them. So sometimes if you, if I demold a set and one of the dice has a little hole in the top where it's just like there was a bubble there. And so it's not like there's just a little divot in the top. I can actually put in some UV resin and cure that to fill the hole um, so that I can repair it. So sets like that, um, which technically failed, but I was able to repair, wouldn't be considered a fail anymore. My biggest fail was probably when I forgot to pressurize my pressure pot. And um, (laughs) that was really bad because I actually had a set of rainbow dice in there that was on its seventh cure because I was pouring it layer by layer. And so this was like the seventh day. Like the final layer. And then I forgot to pressurize the pot and every set in there failed because they were completely full of bubbles. And um, that's, (laughs) but I I wouldn't say very many fail. I think sometimes designs I have design ideas I have fail, but I can turn them into something else. So um, that's kind of the nice thing about dice making is when I'm not making a set for a specific order or something like that, no one really knows what I was trying to do. So I can kind of play it off as a success by using a different (laughs) color or, you know, just standing it a certain way. Like 
I had a set recently that I thought was really, really ugly and I hated it. I was like, no one's ever going to buy it. And then I started sanding it and kind of noticed that the matte icy finish on it made the colors pop really well and it didn't look brown anymore. And I was like, hey, this looks pretty cool. So I just never polished it, just left it sanded and matte and then finished it that way. And now they look really cool. And I actually sold one of the sets like that just recently. So that was a moment where I was like, man, these these are kind of crappy, but I ended up being able to make them work in a different way. So it sounds like it's, this is a hobby. Maybe there's a lot of hobbies like this, but it's a hobby where you can kind of make it as complex as you want. That, I mean, to, to my mind, even at its basic level, it still sounds pretty complex, but it sounds like you can really, you can keep adding little twists as you go along. Yeah, I think this is a craft that is constantly evolving. And dice makers are constantly trying to push the envelope to see how far we can go with them, to see what new stuff we can put into them. Um, I know people have like put beans into dice to try and make baked bean dice. And, like, <laughs> you know, they, I've seen, I saw someone recently who made tiny little dragon, like hand painted dragons and put them inside dice and made them look like dragon eggs. And people who make geodes. Oh dice that look like geodes and there are so many cool um styles of dice that like it's a never-ending experiment and i would say i've probably made the same like style of set maybe like i've made one style probably six times and then everything else i've pretty much just made once i've made a couple that i've you know, someone said, I really like this. Could you make it again? And so there are a couple that I've done twice, but most of it is just, I just kind of see what I'm interested in that day or what color I haven't used in a while and do something with that. Or if I'm totally out of ideas, I'll go live on TikTok and people will join and say, hey, make blue dice. Hey, make dice that are sparkly. Hey, make dice that do this, <laughs> that look like fire. And so people other people help too and saying like can you do this can you do this so that is a good 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 sales angle that if people purchase for me they're pretty sure that this is a unique set there's not going to be others out there that look like that dice that's that's really cool what if again you've kind of answered but i'm curious what what would you say are your favorite parts of dice making what parts are you not so excited about or you find more challenging I think my favorite part of dice making is seeing my dice out in the wild, um, like seeing someone rolling my dice and like my dungeon, like our dungeon master has one die that I made, like one D20 that I made for him that has rolled so many like natural 20s. And like, we hate that <laughs> as players, but I'm like, man, like he loves that die. And um it's just like seeing the joy people get out of something that I put all this time and effort into, I think is my favorite part. I also love that I just get to be creative with it and I get some idea in my head and I'm like, I'm just going to try and figure it out. And so I'm constantly learning and evolving this craft. And I, you know, I'm a teacher, so I love learning. And this is a, a topic that I can never stop learning about. <laughs> and there's always more to learn and more to try and experiment with. You asked for the hardest part too, right? Yes. So that would probably be... Occasionally I get 
either an idea or someone says, hey, I have this character idea and we have to kind of figure out exactly what that's going to look like. That is probably also one of my favorite things is making character dice, but it's also one of the most challenging because you know how near and dear characters are to our hearts. And being able to take an identity or a, you know, aspect of a character and put it into something physical is such a challenge. But it's also, you know, I, I get that experience of being able to talk to someone about this character that I don't know anything about. And I just say, tell me about your character. Send me pictures of your character. Tell me what they've done recently. Tell me what are, you know, the most important parts of this character important physical aspects of this character and then taking that time to really think through it and figure out what will make the best dice for that character. What will, what will exude that character's like essence basically. Um, And so I've done character dice for a bunch of strangers who I knew nothing about their characters, nothing about their campaigns. And I got to learn a lot about them. Like there was one who was a green dragonborn and he had recently like had his mouth sewn shut <laughs> and with this like red thread. <laughs> and so I was oh, in no. the midst, <laughs> so I was in the midst of experimenting with dice that looked like dragon scales. And so I was like, wait, I actually am like kind of working on this right now. Let me see if I can make some green dragon scale dice. And so I made these blanks, which are basically slightly smaller version of each die and then you put them in the regular mold and to get the numbers on them so i made the blanks to look like green dragon scales and then put this red like this piece of red thread throughout um surrounding the blank and then put that into the die and it turned out so cool and i never would have ever thought to do that i never would have put this red thread with a dragon scale and then you know but it turned out so cool. And that was really challenging. And I had to like, you know, report a couple times and come up with some new ideas and ways of doing it. But it ended up being really, really cool. I would say that's probably the most challenging, but also part of yeah. the most exciting. <laughs> that must be hard to put your heart into something and then not quite know if the customer's going to be as enthused about it as you are. That's uh that's awesome that you do that. But yeah, I would be I would be nervous about that. Yeah. And there have been some where I send them pictures after I pull them out and I'm like, what do you think? And they'll there have been times where they're like, eh, this isn't really what I was thinking. Could you do this? Or could we try this instead? Or do you have another or they'll say, Do you have another idea? <laughs> and so that's where I can say, yeah, let's, let's scrap it. Let's try something else, you know? And, um, the nice thing is I can still finish up those dice that they didn't love and repurpose them for something else, or someone else will love those dice, um, for their character or just because they like those colors or, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's definitely challenging. There are times where I send pictures to, uh, a client and they say, I'm like, please like it, please like it, please like it. And then right. they say, it looks great. And that's just like, you know, the biggest sigh of relief of, okay, good. Like that's what they were hoping for. I, I have to admit talking to you, I, this is, this is one of those things that intrigues me, but I don't know that I would handle the frustration of, oh, that didn't turn out. 
but mm-hmm. you've almost tempted me into into dipping my toe in the water here. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so as we as we finish up, I would like you to have a chance to kind of tell tell people about your shop. And I mean, we just tell us a little about about your uh, about your dice making and how people could take a look at what you've got for sale or just contact you. Yeah, absolutely. So my biggest platform right now is on TikTok. Um, that is, I actually started a couple of years ago, even a little bit before I started making dice. So um, kind of like middle of 2020, end of 2020, um, I approached my husband. I was like, hey, I'm really tired of having tacos every night. Can we like find a more exciting way to figure out what's for dinner? And so I said, what if we wrote down 20 things and we rolled a D20 and that's what we had for dinner. And he was like, okay, yeah, sounds good. Why don't I make a spreadsheet and we can make like multiple sheets. And um, so we started rolling for dinner and that was like right before the big roll for whatever um, trend kind of took off on TikTok. And so we were like, yeah, let's do this. We're going to start rolling for dinner. And so through that, other people were like, yeah, I'm tired of choosing what's for dinner too. This sounds fun. And so TikTok is my biggest platform at the moment. That's just D20 dinner on TikTok, spelled exactly how it sounds. And that is where (laughs) we have, you know, our um, we post our dinners, we post recipes there. Um, I post videos of dice, demolding dice, that all that kind of stuff. That's also where I go live if I go live to pour or to work on dice at all. I also post pictures of all of my dice on Instagram and threads and Facebook. On Instagram and threads, I am D20 Dinner. Um, and then I can also be found on Facebook at D20 Dinner Handcrafted Resin Dice. Um, that is a pretty new page. I just actually made it on Thanksgiving for a Black Friday and Small Business Saturday sale. So that one's pretty new, but I'm trying to consistently post pictures of all the completed dice that I have and any sales I have running um, through there and on Instagram and threads. The best place to see a full kind of scope of dice that I've made is on Instagram, just because that's consistently where I've been posting pictures of dice for you know, two years now. Um, but then I also, you know, I try to engage with people a little bit more on, on threads. That's kind of more of a social platform for me rather than a business one. And then, uh, Facebook is kind of where I'm going to be doing most marketing. Um, I'm also hoping, hoping to have a shop up and running in the next probably three months or so. Uh, I'm working on getting an official, you know, business going with that and a website up and running with that so that I can step my way into conventions and online sales and that kind of stuff. So all my sales right now are just personal through Instagram or email is the best way to reach me, but you can get access to all of my, all of my links. If you go to any of my social medias there, there's a link tree in every bio that you can find. Yes. And and I can attest that uh, you're quick to respond. And, uh, so it sounds like it's fairly easy for people to make contact and start figuring out what kind of dice you have and can make. Oh, sorry, go ahead. And anyone who's local to the Peoria, central Illinois area, um, can also buy dice in person at Cabbages and Kings in Peoria Heights. 
So I, I keep about like eight to 10 sets there at a time typically. So um, if you want to go and look at some in person and just see, you know, see what they actually look like in person, then that's a good, good place to go is Cabbages and Kings. Yeah. Oh, that's smart. Actually, that is a good idea to have some physical ones out there for people <laughs> to see. And yeah, I've t- taken advantage of that. That's where I got uh, my daughter's Christmas present last year. So went, went over well. So trying it again. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually, I actually have a second location that has dice at it. It's just, I don't get very many sales there. So I never think to mention it, but I keep some dice in stock at Escape Town Peoria in Peoria. They're an escape room company that I used to work for. I used to be one of their managers. And so I just keep a small display oh. there as well that has some other options if you're interested in those. Um, but that's Escape Town Peoria. They're open only when they have booking. So if you're interested in looking at the dice there, you would probably need to call them ahead of time. <laughs> sure. Well, I'm excited to see. Uh, we'll have to definitely have to keep keep in touch and see what cons you start going to as that starts to build up for you. That's exciting as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was hoping to go to PeoriaCon this year as a seller, but we ended up getting a wedding invitation in South Carolina for the same uh, weekend. So we're not going to be able to do that, but um, definitely hoping to get um, that one next year or in uh, 2025 instead of 24. And then any other ones, small ones that pop up around here, I'm hoping to go to as well. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jamie. I. I know I've learned a lot about dice making here and definitely has inspired me. Hopefully listeners too are willing to give it a try or if, if it's beyond what they want to do, they'll still see what you have to sell and experience it that way. Yeah. And if anyone ever decides to dip their toes in those waters and give it a shot, (laughs) it is challenging, but if you need any advice or help, I'm always happy to help new dice makers as well and give advice or, you know, say, Hey, maybe don't do this because that worked out horribly for me. Um, You know, that kind of stuff. So feel free to reach out on any social media and I'm happy to help as well. All right. Well, for teachers in the dungeon, thank you, Jamie Leonard for sharing your story about dice making and Dungeons and Dragons in general. This will post a little before Christmas. So people might have some time to see what you've got on offer. If there's some last minute gifts, they want to particularly the Peoria area that they want to pick up. Yeah. So thanks again, Jamie. Yes. And uh, on behalf of Tom, I will go ahead and use his, his saying, I think I can hear him. They're returning him now, the goblins. So, uh, I better go see what kind of medical check he needs. But until then, keep rolling those 20s. That wraps up today's session. So thank you for listening to Teachers in the Dungeon. We appreciate you and your feedback. Until the next time we see you in the dungeon, we hope you roll high on those saving throws. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear what happens in the adventure, subscribe to the podcast. Have questions, thoughts, or ideas? Check the show notes for our website, and our contact information. This podcast is not affiliated or endorsed by Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, or any other third-party Dungeons & Dragons entity. Teachers in the Dungeon is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders in the U.S. or abroad. The official Dungeons & Dragons website can be found at www.dnd.wizards.com.